Welcome to the podcast. Today we will be discussing sexual harassment. Let's get legal. Today we will be continuing our discussion on the section of the landmark cases, emotional harm, disability, and workplace cases. We will be discussing the cases under the subsection sexual harassment. Our first case today is Meritor Savings Bank v. Vinson. In 1974, Michelle Vinson was hired as a teller at Capital City Federal Savings and Loan Association in Washington, D.C. She eventually worked her way up from a teller to the assistant branch manager for Meritor Savings Bank. In September of 1978, Ms. Vinson notified the bank that she would be taking an indefinite sick leave. She was fired in November of 1978 for taking excessive sick leave. Vinson sued in federal court claiming that her supervisor, Sidney L. Taylor, had sexually harassed her for three years prior to her being fired. She stated that Taylor had coerced her to have sexual relations with him and made demands for sexual favors at work. Vinson stated that she had intercourse with Taylor 40 or 50 times. She also stated that she was subjected to fondling at work by Taylor, that Taylor had exposed himself to her, and that he had raped her on multiple occasions. She said that she tried to resist the sexual advances at first, but feared for her job, so continued to give in. Vincent argued that this behavior created a hostile work environment and claimed discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The district court disagreed with Ms. Vinson's claims, stating that she was not a victim of sexual harassment because her relationship with Taylor was voluntary and was not tied to any promotion or demotion and thus did not constitute harassment. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit reversed, stating that harassment is possible even without it affecting her employment or promotion. The U.S. Supreme Court granted cert. The Supreme Court ruled that sexual harassment could qualify as sexual discrimination prohibited by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. They stated that in order to qualify, a plaintiff must prove, quote, that the challenged conduct was severe or pervasive, created a hostile or abusive working environment, was unwelcome, and was based on the plaintiff's gender, unquote. The court clarified that the voluntariness of a sexual relation between an employee and a supervisor is not a defense to a sexual harassment claim. Even if the employee initially consented to the relationship, it can still create a hostile work environment if it is coerced or creates unwanted pressure. Here's a summary of the key points of the ruling. The Supreme Court unanimously recognized sexually harassing behavior, even if not explicitly tied to economic advancement, as a form of sex discrimination prohibited under Title VII. This meant employees could be held liable for creating a hostile work environment through sexual harassment. Now how to remember the ruling. Bank reminds me of a workplace, specifically a hostile workplace, because who wants to work at a bank? And instead of Vincent, I remember Vin7 to help remind me that this, this case had to do with Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibiting sexually harassing behavior as discrimination. 
Our next case is Harris v. Forklift Systems, Inc. Teresa Harris was a manager at Forklift Systems, Inc. from 1985 to 1987. During that time, Ms. Harris claimed that she was sexually harassed by Charles Hardy, the president of the company. She stated that on multiple occasions, Mr. Hardy told her and or other female employees to pick up things from the floor that he had dropped on purpose or to reach in his front pocket to retrieve items for him. Ms. Harris eventually confronted Mr. Hardy about his behavior, and he said he would stop. One month later, however, Mr. Hardy resumed his old habits, and Ms. Harris quit. After quitting, Ms. Harris sued Forklift Systems, Inc. Harris claimed that Hardy's behavior made for an abusive work environment and, like Vinson in Meritor v. Vinson, stated that this abusive work environment, based on her gender, was in violation of the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The District Court for the District of Tennessee ruled that Mr. Hardy's actions were offensive, but it did not amount to conduct severe enough to negatively impact Ms. Harris's psychological well-being or to cause any physical harm, thus did not qualify as discrimination under Title VII. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit affirmed this ruling. The case then went to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court reversed the decision of the lower courts. It stated that, quote, Title VII comes into play before the harassing conduct leads to a nervous breakdown, unquote. It held an abusive environment, quote, that does not seriously affect employees' psychological well-being can and often will detract from job performance, discourage employees from staying on the job, or keep them from advancing in their careers, unquote. It ruled that if the environment of employment would reasonably be perceived and is perceived as hostile or abusive, then it would qualify for a Title VII claim. The case was remanded and eventually was settled out of court. Here's a summary of the key points of the ruling. The Supreme Court established that the standard for determining whether a hostile work environment exists is whether the conduct is, quote, sufficiently severe or pervasive to alter the conditions of the victim's, victim's employment and create an intimidating, hostile, or abusive working environment, unquote. The court rejected the lower court's requirement that the employee suffer, quote, concrete phys or physical or psychological harm, unquote, as a result of the harassment. Now, how to remember the ruling? I remember FORC as, a, as an acronym which highlights the key points of the ruling. F for frequency, persistent unwanted comments and behavior. O for offense, severely, de severely degrading and sexual in nature. R for reaction, creates a hostile, intimidating environment. And K for concrete harm which is not required, uh, an emotional impact suffices. Our last case today is on-call v. Sundowner Offshore Services. In 1991, Joseph on-call was working for Sundowner Offshore Services on an oil platform with eight other men in the Gulf of Mexico. 
While working on the oil rig, he was subjected multiple times to humiliating sexual harassment. Once he was sodomized by a bar of soap and was threatened with rape. Oncall reported this harassment to his supervisor, who produced no remedial action. Oncall was afraid that eventually he would be sexually assaulted, so he quit. Afterwards, he sued Sundowner Offshore Services in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana, claiming that he was dis- discriminated against on the basis of sex in violation of Title VII. The district court granted summary judgment to the defendant, stating that Mr. On Call, quote, a male, has no cause of action under Title VII for harassment by male coworkers, unquote. This ruling was affirmed by the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. On Call appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court reversed. They ruled that Title VII claims cannot be denied just because the victim and harasser are the same sex. They also ruled that the harassment, quote, need not be motivated by sexual desire to support an inference of discrimination on the basis of sex, unquote. It just has to be objectively offensive as to alter the conditions of the victim's employment. Here's a summary of the key points of the ruling. The Supreme Court ruled that Title VII's prohibition on sexual discrimination extends to same-sex harassment. The severity and pervasiveness of the harassment, not the sexual orientation of the individuals involved, determines whether a hostile work environment exists. Now, how to remember the ruling. On-call sounds like on-call, which reminds me of work. Sundowner Offshore Services could be shortened to SOS. SOS could also be used as an acronym for same or opposite sex. This all reminds me that this case had to do with harassment at work and how it could be from the same or opposite sex and qualify for a Title VII claim. All right, that's it as far as new cases for today. Let's uh, quickly review the mnemonics. Our first case was Meritor Savings Bank v. Vinson. Uh, and I remember this because a bank reminds me of a workplace, specifically a hostile workplace, because, you know, who wants to work at a bank? And instead of Vinson, I remember Vin7 to remind me that this case had to do with Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibiting sexually harassing behavior as discrimination. Uh, our next case was Harris v. Forklift Systems, Inc., And I remember this ruling, but I remember the acronym FORC, F for frequency, so persistent unwanted comments and behavior, O for offense, severely degrading sexual in nature, R for reaction, creates a hostile, intimidating environment, and K for concrete harm in that it is not required and emotional impact suffices. And then our last case was on-call v. Sundowner Offshore Services, uh, I remember that on-call reminds me of on-call, which you know, reminds me of being uh, on-call at work. Uh, and then Sundowner Offshore Services can be shortened to SOS, which could also be an acronym for same or opposite sex. And this all reminds me that this case has to do with harassment at work and how it could be from the same or opposite sex and qualify for a Title VII claim. 
All right, that's a wrap on episode 20 on sexual harassment. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a review and be sure to subscribe to be notified the next time an episode is released. Cheers.